Hi, I'm Mac. Hi, I'm Abigail. And this is Unsubs. This is the podcast where we recap, rate, and review all 324 episodes of Criminal Minds. And girl, we're getting mighty close to episode 100. We are. It's a little scary. A little scary. But today we're talking season five, episode five, Cradle to Grave. Why are you laughing? This episode is so challenging. <laughs> I feel like the episode we're recording next, episode six, the eyes have it or whatever, is more challenging than this one. The eyes have it is bonkers, but it's like bonkers in like a, yeah, I'm here for this kind of way. Cradle to Grave is just like, that's icky. All right, but before we do that, I've got a fun fact. Yeah. My fun fact is that I recently purchased the uh, Nicole Kidman AMC commercial t-shirt, <laughs> and I am anxiously wait- awaiting its arrival. You know what my fun fact is? What's your fun fact? Bitch, so did I. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna be so cool. We're gonna be twinning, but not in an exact way because they're they're different designs, but it's both of them. Both of them do have the iconic line, somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Not just entertained, but somehow reborn together. Dazzling images on a huge silver screen. Sound that I can feel. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. My husband was making dinner when you texted me and said that you were going to buy this shirt. And I just go, oh my God, Abigail's buying the AMC Nicole Kidman shirt. And he goes, what? (laughs) And then I had to explain it to him. But he was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I was like, well, clearly you don't listen to my podcast. But we will post, at the time this episode airs, we will already have our t-shirts, so we will post pictures of us. We better. We better or I'm we about better. to fight to you public. Riot. I'm going to riot in the streets because I need my t-shirt. Here's where I'm coming from. I just wrote up a recap for episode seven, which is bonkers and then abigail has been having some kind of day today oh my god what was i yeah you were uh, vibing no what were you what did you say you were it's because of the moon it's a libra moon tonight oh i was it's wild and the energy is wild and so we're both libras and there's a libra full moon tonight so we're both Wilden, but we're vibing. I guess an additional fun fact is you just wrote up episode seven. I was at work for seven hours, um, but we're on spring break, so there's like nothing to do. So I just went there and wrote like another 12 pages of a horror script I'm writing. So I'm definitely in the spooky vibes right now. Also, we have our second edition ever of listen to- <laughs> listener commentary. You guys wrote in to us and we will read it. <laughs> We're just calling it that because we need a name. 
Name pending. Name pending. Name TBA. Uh, But if you have a good name for us, write in and tell us. Hiya, baby. Hey, baby girl. We need to talk. PG or NZ-17? You're on speakerphone. I charge extra for groups. Abigail, do you want to read this one? Yes. <laughs> and, this, <laughs> and shout out to this person who's fucking go, going back to square one, starting with season one of the podcast. And then literally, this was before we even announced that we were doing this. They went to our website, found where they could contact us and fucking contacted us to set us straight about an episode we released over a year ago. <laughs> Oh my god, you're wait, you're right, because we haven't formally announced this. Like we put a little thing on our Instagram story, but like nothing, yeah. So basically, um someone named Julie wrote in and fucking schooled us on twins. So somehow in my in my mind I had the twin information wrong. So they said, I know it was a long time ago. It was. Thank you. (laughs) But I I just found your podcast. And while listening to the Broken Mirror episode about twins, I heard you explain fraternal twins. As a fraternal twin, I needed to mention your statement fraternal twins are from the father's side is incorrect. Fraternal twins happen because your mother produces two eggs at once. This is a genetic trait that can be passed down from mother to daughter. Identical twins are a fluke. They cannot run in a family, but fraternal twins can. Too many people misunderstand what identical twins mean. The number of times a not-boy-girl twin cousins get asked if they're identical is ridiculous. Also, about fraternal twin visibility. The Olsen twins are fraternal, and in the movie Cheaper by the Dozen, they have two sets of twins, one identical, one fraternal. Okay, so you know what my thoughts on the Olsen twins are? What? They're not fraternal enough. They still <laughs> look identical. They still, like, they're not identical, but they look so similar. Because I'm self-involved, I want the fraternal twin uh, visibility that my sister, my twin sister and I have, to the point where someone asked me if I was her au pair. What? Yes! <laughs> They're like, you're her a pair, right? That's why you guys are always coming and going together. I was like, no, it's because we're twins. That's like the time my drunk neighbor was like, oh, how's your son doing? And I was like, you mean my husband? And he goes, oh, my girlfriend got me all fucked up. (laughs) And I was like, all right. (laughs) So... Thank Yikes. you, Julie. Anyways, we'd love to hear from you. <laughs> Let us know your thoughts. Hiya, baby. Hey, baby girl, we need to talk. PG or NZ-17? You're on speakerphone. I charge extra for groups. Anyways, uh, can you share the rating criteria? Yeah, our rating criteria has not changed. Um, <laughs> each category can get up to 20 points altogether uh episode has a potential to get up to 100 points and those categories are criminal slash serial killer character development and character arcs forensics in context script writing and background characters 
And we are in no way, shape, or form associated with the television show Criminal Minds. We are just fans. I would like to begin the recap. Yes. Okay. So we open on a woman with blonde hair screaming, begging someone to help her and take her to the hospital. At first we think she's being tortured, but then we realize that she is giving birth. She gives birth, and as we pull back, we notice she's in a jail cell type looking thing. There's a woman with brown hair helping her, and this woman hands the blonde woman her baby. And there's this moment where she forgets that she's in a jail cell, and she's just happy to have her baby. Then we hear a door open, and we see Boots coming down a set of metal stairs. Never a good sign. And we realize that this birthing experience has not only been taking place in captivity, it's taking place in a cage in a basement. Not very sanitary. I've never given birth, but I cannot imagine that that's how it's typically done. (laughs) Uh, The boots belong to a man whose face we don't see. And this man opens the cage and takes the baby out of the new mother's arms and he goes, It's a girl. It's a girl. His voice was really sending me in this episode. I was like, what kind of Adam Driver like motherfucker is this? Oh my God. He walks off and the blonde woman screams and she goes, give me back my baby. And we're like, oh no, it's another Babay episode. Cut to BAU headquarters in Quantico, Virginia. Hotch and JJ are discussing potential new cases. And apparently JJ has picked up some profiling chops because Hotch asks for her takes on some potential... (laughs) Why can't I talk today? On some potential new cases, and she gives them to him. But then Hotch notices her checking her watch and tells her to go home so that she can be with her family. As Hotch walks back to his office, he's surprised by Chief Strauss. Remember her? The woman Abigail hates. Yes. (laughs) Chief Strauss is Hotch's boss. Cut back to JJ getting ready to leave, and she notices Strauss leaving Hotch's office. JJ goes to check on Hotch and asks him if everything's okay, and he assures her that everything is fine. Cut to the next day, and Morgan is in the elevator, headed to work, and he gets a bunch of texts from Hotch about cases. He actually gets four texts from Hotch, and I'm sorry, but this technology did not age well. It's like flip phones with bad graphics, and it's sending me. So Morgan arrives at work, and he's like, Reed, what's going on? And Reed goes, someone just posted a blog called What Would Carl Sagan Do? And and Morgan is like, no, Reed, the case. What's the case? And Reed is like, what are you talking about? I didn't get any emails from Hotch. Reed, what did I miss? Oh, man, you're not going to believe this. Some moron just posted a blog called What Would Carl Sagan Do? No, Reed, the case. What's the case? What are you talking about? These emails from Hotch. Take a look at this. New case to review. Emails from Hotch. I didn't get any emails from Hotch, did I? Morgan goes to Hotch and is like, bro, what the fuck? And Hotch is like, did you review the cases? And Morgan is like, I just got them. Give me an hour and I'll review them. And Hotch is like, never mind. And then JJ comes in and is like, boys, we've got ourselves a case. We learn about Christy Taylor, who JJ says is a, quote, 
runaway and drug addict reported missing from Farmington, New Mexico three years ago. We can quickly identify that Christy is the blonde woman giving birth from earlier and she is now deceased. JJ informs the team that Christy's body was found yesterday outside of Texas. There were signs of sexual assault with ligature marks on her wrists and ankles, and she had been asphyxiated. JJ then tells the team that Christy is the third victim to have been found with a similar M.O. The three girls were between 16 to 19, all blonde, and they'd been held for an average of two years. All three of the victims had also given birth right before they were murdered. Christy being murdered only minutes after she gave birth to her baby. Cut to the BAU private jet. Hey, girl. (laughs) Prentice believes the unsub is a sexual sadist, but questions why a sexual sadist would force women to give him babes. Babes. Bebés. Just wants the bebet. I must have the bebet. Reed and Morgan give us examples of real life assholes who did this to who did this to women, and then Rossi goes, Squalid conditions are part of the control fantasy these men have. <laughs> Squalid conditions. <laughs> yes, nothing gets me. Hornier than squalid conditions, just like in episode four, when you we literally spent like five minutes discussing the conditions of the first scene showing the Pax house, and you were just like struggling to find the words to a- accurately describe the smell you think would be perme- permeating in that space. And I was just like, it's a sexy smell. And you were like, yes, but also no. <laughs> I can't wait to listen to that episode. Oh my god, it's it's absolutely bonkers. As will this one. This episode will be bonkers. And I don't even want to think about next episode because it's going to send me into the stratosphere. What else? What else? Okay, so Hotch refocuses the group and asks why the unsub is only abducting blondes of the same age. Also, guys, where are the babes? Cut to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hotch, Rossi, and Morgan meet with a medical examiner who informs us that Christy had several miscarriages before she had given birth. Doctor, you wrote in your report that Christy had had several miscarriages. How was that evident? There were a number of abrasions in her uterine lining. Around the third trimester, her water would break. So she never carried the term? No, the last time she did, there was a high level of Pitocin in her blood. It's an artificial hormone you give it to induce labor. She was on a tight schedule. She lost the baby who would get her pregnant again immediately. Childbirth is tough enough. Imagine if your life depends upon it. All three moms had records. Drug abuse, drunk, and disorderly. But what's more interesting is what he does after he kidnaps them. This is Christy Taylor two weeks before she was abducted. He got her healthy. Well-fed and off the habit. Not completely. These drugs in Christy's system, what are they? Tamoxifen, metoclopramide, domperidone, progesterone. Progesterone's a prenatal medication, isn't it? Well, they all are. The first two help carry the baby to term. The last two help with lactation. What kind of sexual sadist gives his victims prenatal drugs? The kind who takes care of the kids he's having. He gets his rocks off killing the moms with the babies he protects. You think he's keeping them? He despises the moms. He despises their children, too. 
New Mexico's right on the border. A lot of human trafficking going on. This tight schedule, he keeps the moms on. He could be breeding. So Rossi goes, the tight schedule, he keeps the moms on. He could be breeding. (laughs) Cut to CPS, Child Protective Services in Albuquerque. Rossi and JJ speak to a worker who tells them that all children who go in and out of the adoption system get genetic screening for pre-existing conditions. So if the babies are in the system, the BAU could use DNA matching to find them. Back at Albuquerque headquarters, JJ meets with Conrad and Jane Winmar, the first victim, Monica's parents. She drops bombshells on them, telling them that they may be grandparents, and then asking them in the same breath if the BAU can dig up Monica's body to see if there's any DNA evidence that might help them locate her potential child. Which they take so well, uh, they actually get pumped, and get and Jane is like, give us the release, we'll sign it! I was expecting them to be like assholes for some reason. Like, just to, like, set, like, they just set this up to be so tense that I thought this family was going to be, like, terrible. And then I'm, like, like, bracing myself for the other shoe to drop. Then I'm, like, oh, they're being chill. Okay. They're really nice, but they're presented in a way where they're, like, all dressed up and they just, they look like they would be very snobby. But they're not. Um, And they are so excited The medical examiner finds an umbilical cord. Not sure why he missed that the first time, but I guess guess we can't all be thorough at our jobs. And he makes some shitty comments about Monica being just another girl from the street that I didn't miss. So fuck you, medical examiner. Garcia looks into adoptions and tells the team that white babies are in higher demand than minorities. Oh, that's right. We get a little playfully racist. Boys are more popular than girls. And then she starts talking about the, quote, Swedish supermodel rule, stating that blonde-haired and blue-eyed babies are the most popular ones. And y'all, the three mothers all had blonde hair and blue eyes. But the bad news is that Monica Winmar's umbilical cord did not turn up any matches in the adoption system. The medical examiner did determine that the child is a girl and is four years old currently, if she is still alive. They're not sure. So the BAU has to, like, look into black market adoptions. (laughs) Hotch dismisses the rest of the team, but tells Morgan that he wants Morgan to write up a preliminary profile. And Morgan is like, but we, we don't have enough. And Hotch is like, That's why it's a preliminary profile. Yeah, that would make sense. But it's also like we're seeing him ride Morgan's ass and not in a sexy way, in a like, why are you like, you know, we'll stay tuned. But there's definitely like a little, there's tension there. There are some seeds being dropped that are going to grow into something later, yeah. Cut to a woman and man walking in a parking lot. Well, the man is kind of half carrying a blonde woman named Julie, telling her that he's got a great drug hookup. You're going to love this. This guy, he, he has like the best. Like there is no better. He has like this ax 
access to God, and he doesn't want to hang on to it. He, he wants to give it away. How much further is that? Not much. Because that's what God's love is, you know? It's sharing. It's, it's giving everything you have of yourself away and not expecting anything in return. Where are we? Right here, baby. Right where we need to be. He has, like, this access to God, and he, like, doesn't want to hang on to it. He wants to give it away. And I'm like, what is this, point break? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, so the guy walks Julie right into an ambush where she's knocked out and given to another guy whose face we can't see. And the guy who brought her there says, this is the kind of girl you want, right? And then a low-pitched voice goes, she's perfect. <laughs> and hands the guy money. I'm sorry, this unsub has a really low voice. I also just want to point out that the actress who's playing Julie is pansexual icon Mae Whitman, who some of you may know from as playing Mary Elizabeth in The Perks of Being a Wallflower, or um, the main character in the movie The Duff, or as most important to me, the voice of Tinkerbell in all of the Tinkerbell movies. Oh my god. Um, if you haven't watched all of the Tinkerbell movies, like the animated Tinkerbell movies, they're on Disney Plus. Absolutely should. Highly recommend. They are iconic. And uh, I can't wait for the next one to come out if it ever does. May Whitman, if you ever want to come on the podcast, we're available. Eventually, someone will take us up on it and then we'll be like scrambling and not know what to do. All right, cut back to Albuquerque headquarters. Garcia and JJ are looking into illegal adoptions. Garcia asks JJ what will happen to the child if the BAU was actually able to find her. So we're specifically talking about Monica Winmar's child. And JJ says, well, if something illegal happened during the adoption process, the court nullifies it and returns the child to the closest relative. JJ tells Garcia not to worry. In Monica's daughter's case, she's met the grandparents and they're really good people. And Garcia is like, yeah, but what if the child's current home is a good environment? And JJ is like, we don't have a choice. Morgan has given his, quote, preliminary profile to Hotch, and Hotch gives it back to him and says, I disagree with your analysis. He says, quote, you only focused on one angle. The presence of prenatal drugs in the system indicates a wife or girlfriend. And Morgan is like, bro, this is a preliminary profile. What's that? Your profile. I disagree with your analysis. Hachi, <laughs> are you serious? It's not a law review article. It's just something for us to brainstorm. But you only focused on one angle, Morgan, that the prenatal drugs indicate the presence of a wife or a girlfriend. We need more options. Which I can give you once we make the proper deductions. Hot, you're asking me to guess. Morgan, in order for the profile to be useful, it has to generate multiple scenarios about what the unsub is doing. Rewrite it. We got her. Monica Wimmer's daughter. She was adopted four years ago. She's Lisa now. How did Garcia find her? She cross-referenced the entire New Mexico system. She wasn't in New Mexico. She was in Arizona. So all of the mothers were abducted and dumped in New Mexico, but he keeps the babies in Arizona. He knows the police will stop looking at the state line. The adoption agency is going to be our best lead to the unsub. Who handled the case? That's bombshell number two. She didn't go through an agency. She was dropped off anonymously at a church. The BAU now thinks they're looking for a killer couple, a husband and wife. 
Morgan is like, as per my memo. Cut to the birthing basement. Julie from the parking lot wakes up and she's in a jail cell. Actually, she's in Christy Taylor's old jail cell. The brown-haired woman from before who helped Christy give birth is in the jail cell next to her. And she introduces herself as Carol and asks what drugs Julie is on. Because, you know, that's how you introduce yourself. But now I guess canonically, Carol has blonde hair, even though her hair looks very dirty blonde brown to me. But um, she has to have blonde hair to go along with the plot line. But listeners, let us know what you think. I thought she had brown hair, which is why I referred to her as the brown haired girl. Yeah, her hair is like kind of like an ashy blonde. Ashy blonde. Like a darker, like, dirty blonde. Brown. It, yeah, like, so it has it has some brown color to it. it I, like, I, I wouldn't say she's a brunette, though. I don't know. Listeners, let us know what you think. Right in. <laughs> right in. What do you want? What? what? What are you talking about? When he takes us, we're all on something. I was an alcoholic. So, what do you want? Ugh. Crack. I'm Carol. I'm Julie. Here. Here's some water. Come drink some. Carol asks Julie what drug she's on. Julie says crack. And I'm like, whoa! Whoa! <laughs> Coming in hot! <laughs> whoa there! I was like, this feels like it was written by someone who's never done drugs in their life. <laughs> An after school special. Well, Carol's actually an alcoholic because that's 100% the first conversation these women would have. But this does pass the Bechdel test. Oh, shit, you're right, it does. Because we know both of their names and they're not talking about a man. (laughs) Carol then reveals that she is with child um, and that Julie soon will also be with child. And Julie's like, I'm not pregnant. And Carol is like, you will be. And now we have, I think, the longest profile we have had so far in Criminal Minds. Abigail, you better wet those lips and and hydrate because you're about to fucking dehydrate with this. The 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 profile la- the profile last time was also pretty long. This season is like we're giving you a profile. Yeah, and the episode I just typed up, it was literally a page of profile with so many bullet points and examples. The unsubs are a couple. The man in the relationship most likely has a history of sexual violence. He started with stalking, then moved his way up to assault and rape. And that violent streak ended temporarily when he found his wife. She changed him. Okay. (laughs) She's not like the other girls. (laughs) She is not like the other girls. She gets it. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. I don't know where this stream of suddenly unhinged energy for me came from, but like, we're just going to ride that wave. Okay. You know what it is. It's it's the moon. Libra moon. Okay. For the first year of their marriage, she submitted to his torture. Look for wives who came into the ER repeatedly with obvious signs of spousal abuse. 
But this would have been about five years ago. And that's because around the time of the first abduction, the visits to the ER stopped. A sexual sadist can't find satisfaction from a willing participant. He eventually got to a place where he couldn't escalate his violence against her without killing her. So she made him a deal. He gets to kidnap, rape, and kill each of the runaways, and she gets to keep the children. Good God. Okay. She's been giving the victims a series of prescription prenatal drugs. So you're going to want to look at obstetri- Oh, God. Obstet- I can never say that word. Obstetricians. Nurses and OBGYNs. So the wife needs these children. At first, they were her lifeline that kept her alive. As long as he had other targets for his abuse, she avoided his rage. The unsubs want children who resemble them physically, who no one would question as their own. All of the runaways would have been blonde, which means the unsub may as well. But the first child found in the system was a brunette. Whatever the physical characteristic, the color of the eyes, the skin type, if the baby doesn't have it, he or she ends up in the foster care system. Wives of sexual sadists need outlets as a denial mechanism to cope with what their partners are doing. And motherhood, especially taking care of a helpless infant, is this woman's way of coping. JJ speaks to the Winmars about Monica's daughter, Lisa. The Winmars are so excited to be grandparents. They want to work with the adopted parents to set up a schedule to see Lisa, But JJ tells the Winmars that Lisa's adopted parents don't want to speak to them. Jane Winmar gets worried and asks JJ if the Winmars claim Lisa if they would actually be hurting her. Reed uses a Jeopardy surface to find more potential children of the victims. He found three possible babies within a 20-mile radius, which is where the unsubs must live. And Rossi realizes that Reed has unearthed another pattern. The unsubs are keeping the male babies, which is something we already knew because of that first scene. Yep. Cut back to the basement. Carol is getting a baby cat scan. I forget what it's called. (laughs) What's it called? An ultrasound? Yes, that's it. An ultrasound. You're so smart. Look at you go. Okay, and old Carol is getting an ultrasound, and the unsub is like, "All right, let's let's get let's get this baby out of here. Let's get this show on the road." So Carol is induced, and she's ready to go. Julie is going to help Carol give birth. At first, Julie is like, "I can't do this," and then Carol says, "If this baby doesn't make it, I'm done. They'll kill me, and then you have to have the babies." And Julie is like, fuck that. I'm in. What do I need to do? Cut back to Albuquerque headquarters. Rossi talks to a fertility doctor who tells Rossi that the drugs the unsubs are using are not top tier fertility drugs. She tells Rossi that fertility fertility drugs are a cocktail and you have to keep trying different ones until you find what works for you. So Rossi realizes that these drugs must be what the unsubs have access to. So he needs to find out what else the drugs are used for. 
Hotch then tells Morgan to write up a tactical arrest plan for how the BAU will apprehend the unsubs without risking the lives of any children they might have. What is this? It's a tactical arrest plan. I'd like you to write it up for this case. You want me to write up how we apprehend these unsubs without risking the lives of the children? <laughs> Hotch, I've led dozens of tactical assaults. You've never made me write up one of these before. That's because I always do it for you after each case. <laughs> you know what? I'm sorry Strauss is coming down on you. This is not about Strauss. Really? I disagree. Look, I understand that you're under the gun, but I gotta say it. I'm really not all that surprised. I watched you walk away from a bunch of cops gunning down unsubs in D.C. You walked in unprotected to a hostage situation in Louisville. Of course the Bureau's worried about you. Man, I'm worried about you. But just because you're the one who's under the magnifying glass, that doesn't mean I can't do my job. Morgan, there's a big part of your job that I do for you. Because I don't need you worried about paperwork and politics. I need you in the field and focused and catching the next unsub. But I can't do that anymore. I don't have to justify my orders to you, and you do have to follow them. Garcia has news. Going off of what the fertility doctor told Rossi, Garcia has looked into the drug cocktail and figured out that the drugs also treat one other condition, breast cancer. Can a woman get pregnant with breast cancer? Let's find out. She'd have to go off of chemotherapy, which would mean that she would be in a lot of pain and risking her life. Garcia then looks for patients diagnosed with breast cancer who got pregnant in the Jeopardy surface area five years ago. And there are seven potential suspects. Rossi then asks how many of those patients are married to a man with a history of sexual violence, and it's just one, Linda Reinman. She is married to Robert Reinman. Linda was pregnant but lost her baby in month eight and had to go through with the pregnancy. That's awful. The baby was a boy named Michael. According to JJ, they have to have a name for the death certificate. Cut back to the basement and Carol gives birth. It's a boy. Just as the baby comes yeeting out, uh, <laughs> the unsubs Linda and Robert show up and they take the baby. And Linda holds the baby and she says, Michael. And I don't know. I was kind of in my feels for her because she's like very obviously very sick and like she's bald. And like it's just like, oh, God, like she she just wants a baby. You know, all she wants is a baby. Quick cut, and we're at the Reinman residence. JJ and Prentice rush in, guns drawn. But JJ quickly puts her gun away when she sees a boy on the couch. He looks like he's four or five. JJ brings the boy out, who has blonde hair and blue eyes. And the rest of the team hurries in, where they easily apprehend Robert as he exits a bathroom. Hotch and Morgan rush into the nursery where they find Linda holding the new baby, Michael. Morgan talks Linda into giving him the baby. I guess she is actively dying as she has stage four breast cancer. Um, and she has given all of her drugs to the victims and is not on chemotherapy. So she, she does not have long. Rossi and Prentice then go into the basement where they find Julie and Carol. Carol then gets to hold her baby, which is super sweet. He'll probably have brown hair because she also has brown hair. <laughs> Back at BAU headquarters in Quantico, Virginia, 
Hotch meets with Morgan and tells him that he is stepping down as the unit leader. I'm resigning as unit chief at the end of the week. What? No. Hotch, look, yeah, okay, sometimes your actions, I may disagree with them, but it's not enough for you to lead this team. I'm not leaving the team. I'm just no longer in charge. You are. Me. <laughs> look, I had the chance to be unit chief in New York, and I said no. I turned it down because I like this team. Strauss can't just fire you like this. She can reassign me, and we can avoid that if I promote internally. This is wrong. It's the only way to keep the team together. <sighs> so all of this, this is why you've been pushing me so hard, huh? I haven't been pushing you that hard. Morgan is the daddy now. Oh my God. Yeah. I hope they gave him a pay raise. Oh yeah, they better. I think they. I know. Yeah, yeah. He says. I think. I think Hotch said he would be. Do you have a deep dive, girl? I do, and it's complex. Um, talking about the ethical care, ethical reflections, um, on women who are sick with a terminal illness but pregnant at the same time. In 1987, in a Washington, D.C. court, they had an interest in protecting a viable fetal life from a 27-year-old woman who was dying of cancer, and they basically wanted her to undergo a C-section and deliver a 26-and-a-half-week fetus. Unfortunately, the child died, and the woman, uh, within days of surgery, also died. So it was like that the court had not determined her wishes she had not expressed it by herself or through a substantial judgment and it was not possible to find a state interest in protecting the fatal life which outweighed her own so basically it's like the ethical question of what is appropriate care for a pregnant term or terminally ill woman the article that this is from argues that it is important to distinguish a decision not to deliver at this time from a decision to terminate pregnancy. Because a C-section, unless there is threat to her life, is not of any clear benefit to the woman. It is wrong to insist that a dying woman must always endure burdensome treatment for the sake of a viable fetus. Should the mother decide to take on such burdens, it's important to recognize that a C-section is not always in the interest of the fetus simply because it's viable. Given the ambiguity of the prognosis for survival and risks of significant handicaps for a preterm or low birth weight fetus, it may be ethically appropriate to omit an act on behalf of the fetus. And then finally, the fact that the fetus' only chance of survival is a preterm delivery does not make that delivery ethically mandatory. The issue is not whether the preterm delivery of the fetus is only hope, but whether the preterm delivery is in the interest of the fetus. Yeah, I mean, there's also a bunch of, um, I know this wasn't like specifically your deep dive, but also when the baby, when the fetus dies, and then the woman still has to give birth. Yeah, another article I found was about like a mother who had terminal cancer and like just completely denied all of her treatments so she could deliver her baby. And then like, she passed right after delivering her baby. In that case, she and her husband were very pro-life, um, and those were their, you know, faith-based beliefs. We're not mothers, so if if you are a mother and you listen to this, let us let us know what you think. 
Yeah, I'm definitely not not talking out of my ass on this, but it's also, you know, a situation where I have no experience. But it's just like it, I I hadn't even I didn't even realize what, you know, can of worms I was unpacking by even going down that. <laughs> going yeah. down that route. Yeah. <laughs> Should we rate this episode? We should rate this episode. All right. What do you think about the what are what is their names? I keep forgetting their fucking name. Rainmans. Rhinemans. Rhinemans. What do you what do you think about the Rhinemans? I feel like there were easier ways to achieve their goal. <laughs> the other thing is like breast cancer is not a terminal illness. Even stage four has like remarkable survival rates. So I'm just like, if she had just kept going with the chemotherapy and they had adopted a child or had insemination or something like, I mean, I guess maybe back then it wasn't as popular or like financially as it wasn't something that was possible, but like they didn't seem to give a fuck about money. They were just, you know, throwing, yeeting babies to the wind left and right, you know? This seems like a very extreme path to go down. Yeah, agreed. And it just doesn't make sense in the context of what medical science is able to do today. But it did tug at my heartstrings a little bit, like the whole thing where she just really, really, really wanted a bebe. So I don't want to give them a terrible score. Also, I do like that he's just got a ridiculously deep voice. 12, 13? Let's do 12. Okay. Character development, character arc. So we got a lot of Hotch and Morgan, but we're about to get more of that, so. I don't know. What do you think? Ten. Sure. Forensics in context. One hell of a profile. <laughs> I mean, they nailed it on that one. Do you want to give it like an 18? Yeah, I think I think we should give it an 18. All right, script writing. I love JJ just being like, let me drop a bunch of bombshells on you in one sentence. 15? Yeah. All right, I think we should give background characters a higher score for the when Mars and then also I liked Julie. We could give that a 20. Yeah. Okay. 75. listening right in we have links in our show notes for everything follow us on the podcast everywhere you can follow me your new apartment.tumblr.com yeah and you can follow me at between state and screen podcast on instagram and all streaming services oh man are you are you ready to have some eyes in some places that they were not expected not to, be. to be yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right peace out guys <laughs>